Welcome to episode 44 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Steven Stiles, and yes, the playoffs are in full swing, to say the least, and who would have guessed that the Eastern Conference Final would have came down to the Florida Panthers and the Hurricanes from Carolina. That is just unbelievable. If you made a bet on that at the beginning of the year, everybody would have looked at you like, yeah, you're nuts. You're not really a hockey fan. You're just kind of like taking the most unusual teams possible, especially with Florida's virtually not only first half of the season, but probably three quarters way through the season, they weren't even sure if they were going to be a playoff team. So that is quite the amazing talk about how the regular season is one season and the playoffs is a totally different season unbelievable and actually it's great for the game because to take out the heavily favored president's trophy team in one round and then take out somebody who should have a really high powered balanced offense in the next round and just about sweep that team they fell one game short of sweeping them is quite the accomplishment now of course the downside of the florida panthers having all this success in the playoffs is that montreal's second first round pick obviously they own the Florida Panthers pick is just dropping like a stone that said there seems to be a lot of people that are like oh my god we might as well just trade the pick we might as well just trade the pick it's not going to amount to much of anything what about using it as a reach pick and we'll come back to that in the Western Conference almost as interesting you have the Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights that are just taking it to the extreme in their series And it's weird. It's like each team is different each game. One game, the Vegas Golden Knights are on, can't beat them, totally balanced team. Edmonton looks lost. The next game, Edmonton is the team, has it all together. McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, everybody's in sync with the game, and Vegas looks lost. What a weird series. And then, of course, for the Dallas Stars and Seattle Kraken, nobody gave the Kraken, obviously, a chance not only to have the 100-point regular season that they had, but to have knocked off the defending Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche, to now being a real challenge to Dallas. That series is tied up at three. I hope, just for something different, I would love to see Seattle knock off Dallas. I really would. It's something that I wouldn't have said in the beginning of the year, but just is something interesting, different, fresh, if you will. I'm hoping for a Seattle-Florida Stanley Cup final. And honestly, Florida winning, which again, now back to the Montreal situation, isn't going to make a lot of people happy if Florida ends up winning the Stanley Cup because that means that first round pick becomes number 32. There's a couple of different ways you can look at that. You can say, wow, what a waste. At one time, that could have been a top 10. Montreal could have then had two top 10 picks. That would have been awesome. But at the same time, if you think about it, the 32nd selection is about what Ben Sherratt was worth because he didn't do much with the Florida Panthers for the rest of the last year after he got traded there. Did absolutely nothing this year. So did they really get host or did they really get the short end of that deal for that draft pick? Again, I certainly would have loved to have seen two top 10 picks, but one kind of has to ask themselves that. However, with that 32nd pick overall, if it does become that and the Florida Panthers actually win the Stanley Cup, Montreal can use this pick to kind of grab a prospect that will then have less pressure on them and might just be able to fill a real organizational need. Because this position that I'm going to mention... 
takes longer to mature, takes longer to adjust to different levels of the game. It's the most complex position in the game. And I'm no, I know a lot of people would argue that and say, oh, no, 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 no. Goaltenders are not the most um, difficult or challenging position. I argue that. I, I think it is. And I think that position in particular has gone through such an amazing change over the last decade. It used to be whether you were a stand-up goaltender, you were a butterfly goaltender, were you technically solid, were you acrobatic, and I'm talking about different goaltenders like maybe Patrick Waugh, who was technically sound, Dominic Hasek, who was just an acrobat. I mean, would flip and almost do cartwheels in the goal, but still, in both cases, were very very effective goaltenders. So there's a couple of goaltenders in this year's draft, such as from Czechoslovakia, Mike Rabel. That could be an interesting way to grab a goaltender. A lot of other teams aren't going to do that, although you've always got teams like Nashville, who with the goaltenders they've taken in positions like 14 through 17 in the drafts, can always screw up that philosophy. But I think Nashville's got greater needs right now as that team goes through somewhat of a remodeling. I won't call it a rebuild, but kind of a refresher type activity. But undoubtedly, the 2023 draft is the topic of interest moving forward and through the summer. Equally of interest will be whether Montreal and who Montreal holds on to as far as either expiring contracts, contracts that have expired, roster spots that younger prospects need, all kinds of situations. So it's not going to be a boring summer at all that way. However, in the world of the draft, who will Montreal select with the fifth pick overall now that that's been finalized with the draft lottery taking place earlier this week? So with that pick, the Montreal Canadiens are going to have to unfortunately wait to see how the chips fall in the first four. The first two shouldn't be a surprise at all. I mean, unless Anaheim really blows people's minds and goes with Mitchkoff at number two, which I doubt they'll pass up Adam Fantilli. So one would have to say Connor Bedard, definitely obviously going to Chicago, no question about it. Adam Fantilli going to the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. The Columbus Blue Jackets love Europeans. So, by all accounts, you would think Leo Carson would be the pick there. The wild card is the San Jose Sharks. Because the San Jose Sharks had an interesting season. Yeah, they're the fourth worst team in the league this year by draft position. But are they really that bad? Or do they just kind of need a tune-up rather than a rebuild? So, could they take Mitchkoff? They could. Could they take Will Smith? They could. So that fifth pick overall is going to be really, really interesting. And I am curious with the changes in Philadelphia if the seventh pick in the draft is in play. Because Daniel Breer, now having had the interim tag removed from his title and is now the de facto GM, said the Philadelphia fans do not deserve having to go through a multi-year rebuild. The fans deserve better than that. They've been great fans. So that tells me that the Flyers might be open to trades. And John Tortorella already mentioned how much he absolutely loved Josh Anderson when Anderson was a player in Columbus and Tortorella was the coach in Columbus. So that really makes you wonder, could that seventh pick be available for, say, a Josh Anderson? And if there had to be a sweetening of the pot, maybe one of the outgoing short-term contracts, maybe that leadership by Joel Edmondson could be an addition to the trade and the draft picks coming back to Montreal. 
Who knows? But it really makes for an interesting scenario. I still think there's going to be a lot more than just the expiring contracts or the contracts with one year left. It would not surprise me at all to see Joel Armia traded to somebody like the Devils for a seventh round pick. Somehow his contract is buried and allowed he's allowed to play for the team in Finland, who obviously he plays a lot better with. I, for whatever reason, the Montreal Canadiens and Joel Armia are just about as good of a mix as gasoline in a match. It just doesn't work. There's no personality conflicts. It's just that it doesn't mesh for whatever reason. It's just insane. On top of that, you'd have to think that Ken Hughes will find a place for Mike Hoffman. And at this point, you got to assume that'll be somewhere at best a third round pick, probably a fourth or a fifth round pick. Not only do I think Edmondson will get traded in the offseason, could be a second round pick if Montreal really lucks out and finds the right fit and the right team looking for that particular leadership and kind of last defensive need to their team could be a first round pick something tells me it'll probably be a second round pick i still think david savard and chris weidman might be gone as well david savard undoubtedly helped justin baron a lot last year helped jonathan kovacevic and that's not just to say he only helped right-handed defensemen but that is his position i'm sure he was a veteran experience with lots of knowledge to share with everybody And quite honestly, although he's had his health issues as well, has certainly been healthier than Joel Edmondson. Edmondson is just a medical misfit. Chris Weidman is really interesting because Chris Weidman has a very low contract impact. So he could be kept around anything from a depth seventh defenseman on the roster. He could go to Lavelle and be a veteran presence for all the young influence on the defense. He could find himself working his way into a defensive coaching job in Lavelle. He's just kind of got that kind of personality. He's just kind of got that same type of team leadership and experience to be able to pass along. Kind of similar to what people are saying about Alex Bazile as far as he will make an excellent assistant coach to begin with, and they can definitely see head coaching in his career as well in the future. Both the Lavelle and Montreal rosters heading into next year have to almost have an equal amount of interest. Not only to see will Slavkowski, Sean Farrell make the Montreal roster, will they be going to Lavelle? In Montreal, you obviously already have the five rookie defensemen that made the team this year in Justin Baran, Jonathan Kovacevic, Caden Gooley, Arbor Jackey, Jordan Harris. So that's five. Mike Matheson obviously rounds out the sixth. No particular order. I just mentioned six players in case everybody's like, wow, you think Mike Matheson is the sixth defenseman? Not at all. But you still have six defensemen there, which means, fortunately, Lane Hudson going back to Boston College. That's a good thing. So that's not an issue until the following season as far as where he plays. But you also have Logan Mylou, you have Miguel Torgany, and you have Paturi Numi. There's three defensemen for Lavelle to go with everything else that they already have. So that's going to be really interesting. There's a lot of talent. And does Owen Beck, who had a great training camp last year, does he slide into the third slot in Montreal? Does he go to Lavelle? Philip Massar, does he become the right wing on the Slavkowski line if Slavkowski makes it in Montreal? Does he, with or without play with Slavkowski in Lavelle next year? So it's really interesting. Montreal has a lot of talent coming for their team at every level. So I think the offseason is not only going to be interesting with the 2023 draft to see who Montreal takes, to see how maybe Montreal either moves around on the draft board, 
where the Florida pick actually ends up. I think the trades in the offseason may be the massive flow of trades everybody was kind of more expecting during the trade deadline because you've got a lot of players from Edmondson, Savard, Weidman on the defense, Jake Allen and goal because let's not forget about that because Caden Primo is no longer waiver wire protective. So do you take the chance of losing a 23-year-old goaltender who might not be ready? Or do you say goodbye to a veteran goaltender who, yes, has a lot of leadership value to the team? Absolutely understand that. Not questioned. Great team guy. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better locker room presence. So he had stability. That being said... Like so many other players this year, as the Canadians have set the record the last two consecutive years, and this year ironically broke their own record that they set last year for man games lost, Jake Allen has been part of that problem where those insurmountable amount of injuries and unimaginable amount of injuries have just kept piling up. So at this point, endurance-wise, reliability, what's he got left? I mean, you can have it all and still want to play in your mind, But if your body's saying, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're done, or is starting to break down at a minimal, unfortunately, that's one of the hardest things about pro sports, both from an athlete standpoint especially, but from management. You know, do I hold on to him? Is it a greater value keeping it? Can I get something for him that can help the team in the future? And that's where the Caden Primo and Josh Allen thing is going to be. And I believe that Montreal has to head into next year with one of two scenarios. Either you have... Samuel Montembeau as your starter, and he's the starter in both these cases, I'm going to suggest, and Caden Primo's is backup, or you really make some noise and you send something like either Joel Armia or a prospect like Brett Stapley to the Vancouver Canucks for goaltending prospect Michael DiPietro. You trade both Jake Allen and Primo, getting value for those future draft choice and assets, and you go into next year with Sam Montembeau and... Michael DiPietro as your goaltending tandem. So it's either Sam Montembeau and Caden Primo, Sam Montembeau and Michael DiPietro. That that's really at this point, there's not going to be a goaltending unless somebody offers Montreal a goaltender that's young and can be a number one. But at this point, Samuel Montembeau, who now is playing for his country and playing very well, I might add. Could you really do that to him and not just destroy his attitude and desire to be there? I don't think he can. I think Montembeau has more than earned that. I think it's a perfect situation for him to grow with the team and see how far he can progress. Has he topped out yet? I don't think he has. I think the kid's got a lot more talent to go and has been probably one of the biggest surprises at a time when there's such a question about goaltending, which of course has also been now determined that Carey Price is selling his house in Montreal. Not a surprise to me. We talked about this much earlier in the season when I said would not surprise me at all to see him go the same way Shea Weber did, sell his house, go back to Western Canada, out of the media limelight. Of course, I proposed some really weird trades and and possibilities back there. No need to go over that again. But his career's done. And his career was done honestly at the end of last season after that 10 to 2 massacre of florida where he played a phenomenal game on his last game and uttered those famous words if this was my last game i'm okay with that and as i said 
anybody that was listening to that, you had to realize that was his very short, hey, I'm letting you know, I won't be back. I just hope for the guy that, like I've said all season long, that he can recover and be able to play with his kids. He can be fully functional for his family. He, his beautiful wife, and his sons deserve that. He's earned that. And that is more important than anything else i'm really hoping that the montreal canadians will allow their prospects to take remaining roster spots i don't have a lot of those beliefs where you have to have such a mix of veterans and rookie players you have to have a team that has chemistry you have to have a team that can play together you have to have a team where players thrive off of each other's abilities and montreal seems to be putting that together and you can see that firsthand in players like kirby doc nick suzuki Cole Caulfield, everything. I even said earlier that I think a great fourth line for next year would be Michael Pozzetta at the left wing, Lucas Condotta at center, and Alex Bazile on the right wing. Those three guys play together really well. That is the one thing that Montreal has to do is get a little bigger, not throughout the entire organization. I'm still a huge believer that small players can play just as effectively, but you do have to have a mix. I think Ken Hughes put it best when he goes, I don't think I'd want 22 Cole Caulfields on my roster. Yeah, that that would be a problem because they'd probably get treated like pinballs and bounced all over the ice. But Montreal, I think, has some additional injury issues that we haven't even talked about, such as Brendan Gallagher, such as Christian Dvorak, such as Sean Monaghan, such as Jake Evans. You really have to wonder, as far as from a reliability standpoint, how much they can still hold up. That's the problem. And I think those roster spots should go to prospects that have earned them. I know there's a lot of people not only interested in Pierre-Luc Dubois, but now also Alexi Lafreniere has become a point of target as far as, oh, we got to have Alexi Lafreniere. Again, I agree with the reports that, you know, show me a person that didn't think he was worthy of the number one pick in his draft year. It just hasn't panned out. And the problem with those two players is not only inconsistency, but high value contracts. And are you going to really get much more from them than you would get from a prospect just starting out and developing on his own. And I don't think you're gonna. So I really hope that Montreal, I don't see another Kirby Doc type trade is in the 2022 draft. So I hope they are done acquiring players from other teams, unless there's something really spectacular that gets uncovered. On that note, thanks for tuning in to episode 44 of the Hockey Free For All. I am your host, Steven Stiles. Have a fantastic upcoming week.